0: The following podcast is sponsored by Financial Sense Wealth Management. To learn more about our investment services, go to financialsensewealth.com or give us a call at 888-486-3939. We start with global trade and the news that one in five commercial ships are now avoiding the Red Sea because of the threat of attack. The Red Sea accounts for 15% of the world's shipping and plays a crucial part in the global supply chain. UK companies have been telling the BBC that shipping delays could push up prices.
1: The U.S. economy added 216,000 jobs in December, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, surpassing expectations in a show of resilience for the labor market. Wages were also up 4.1% for the year, higher than expectations. To give you just sort of a point of reference,
2: we started 2023 at 3.4% unemployment. So we moved up a little bit, but unemployment now has been below 4% for nearly two years.
1: Today's stronger than expected job and wage growth could prompt the Fed to hold off on rate cuts until later this year.
2: 25 states and dozens of municipalities across the country are planning minimum wage increases in 2024, one as high as 20 an hour, far exceeding the current federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour set back in 2009. But the bigger paychecks will come at a cost, especially at restaurants in California. You know, Your burrito costs $15 an hour, it's gonna cost $17. What's the ripple effect gonna be? Everyone else has to match, right? Because if you can work at McDonald's or Starbucks for $20 an hour, why would you stay at the kitchen at Olive Garden or, or even at Walmart? Economists believe it could eventually lead to a slight increase in overall inflation and other unintended consequences. But you're not gonna see that $20 an hour.
0: Unfortunately, I won't.
2: That's because Sandoval is one of more than 1,100 California delivery drivers Pizza Hut franchises are laying off.
0: Well, new restaurant in Southern California is historic for what it is missing. No human workers behind the counter. Cali Express by Flippy is the world's first fully autonomous eatery, with its robotic chefs serving up burgers and fries for hungry customers.
1: This is like a whole new level of robot takeover inside restaurants. While ordering at a kiosk is now fairly commonplace here, guests can also use a new payment system based on facial recognition. Then watch as robots take over to freshly make their burgers and fry the fries. But with most machines doing almost all the work here, the overall operating costs are lower since far fewer humans are needed and the robot is a very fast line cook.
0: It looks like it's probably the wave of the future here, Nancy. I don't know. I definitely uh, something to get used to. This is the Financial Sense News Hour. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team.
3: There is an old saw as goes January, so goes the year. We're off to a rocky start after last year's Q4 Santa Claus rally. We started off the first day of trading on Tuesday with a plunge in stocks and bond yields rising. The 2, the 10, and the 30-year bond are now back over 4%. The market did not like the minutes of the December Fed meeting, which indicates the Fed may be done raising interest rates but is in no hurry to lower them. Friday's unemployment report showed the economy added 216,000 jobs with a third of those coming from government. They also revised November job numbers down from 150,000 to 105,000, which has been the pattern with the revised job numbers much lower than originally reported. Unhappy New Year, everyone. I'm Jim Poplov, and welcome to the Financial Sense News Hour. Up this week, we discuss forecast 2024 as we look at the consensus on the economy, interest rates, and the stock market, along with potential black swans, and what could go wrong with the Wall Street consensus, which is a soft landing, no recession, a drop in interest rates with meager returns for stocks this year. But before we do that, let's look at the
2: stories moving the markets with Ryan Poplava. This week, things kicked off with some profit-taking after nine consecutive weekly gains in the S&P 500. Money didn't rotate into cash, though, as three sectors that lost in 2023 saw gains this week, namely utilities, energy, and consumer staples. Chalk things up to mean reversion then for stocks. There were some key stories that may have influenced this rotation further. The first was a downgrade from Barclays on Apple to Underweight, the first day stocks traded for the year. Uh, That was followed up by Piper Sandler joining in on the downgrade. Mega Caps saw money rotating out all week despite a brief rally Thursday that saw many of these trade positive, like Microsoft up 0.7% before closing down 0.7% and Tesla up 1.8% before closing down 0.3%. The second story affecting stocks was the FOMC Federal Open Market Committee minutes on Wednesday. The comments that the committee viewed the policy rate as likely at or near its peak for this tightening cycle did much to cause some volatility. The Fed made it clear that it isn't completely keeping the idea of a possible rate hike off the table just yet, likely to keep the speculation we saw over the past two months in check. The probability of a rate cut at the March FOMC meeting was 79% before the FOMC minutes after it dropped down to 70.8. And on Friday, after the jobs report, it dropped further to 63% chance. In addition to stock weakness, there was also weakness in the Treasury market as yields rose this week. That was helped by three key events. The first was geopolitical risk with heightened tension in the Red Sea as Iran sent a warship in response to the U.S. destroying three healthy boats attacking an oil tanker. The second was the FOMC minutes previously mentioned that reduced the probability of a rate cut in March. The third was better-than-expected employment data this week, which saw the 10-year Treasury yield trade above 4% again. Focusing on the economic data this week, it was the first week of the month where we get key information on employment and soft-survey data, for manufacturing and service conditions in the US. December US ISM manufacturing index fell to 47.4%, while the prices component continued to contract, sliding to 45.2 from 49.9, which from an inflation perspective is good. The December ISM service index came in at 50.6, basically neutral. The key report there is that the largest sector of the U.S. saw a slowdown in activity in December, sitting just above contraction, which should keep the Fed from raising rates. Factory orders in November were up 2.6%. Turning to employment data, the November Jobs, Openings, and Labor Turnover Survey, JOLTS for short, saw openings at 8.79 million, which was a little changed. The private ADP employment changed up 146,000 and the unemployment claims report remains low at 202000 for just the previous week. Finally, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, non-farm payrolls Friday was better than expected at 216,000 job additions, while the unemployment rate remained unchanged at 3.7%. Again, this saw Treasury yields climb off of that news. On the earnings front, John Butters at FactSet noted on Friday that analysts have lowered their earnings per share estimates more than normal for the S&P 500 companies in the fourth quarter, with estimates down 6.8% to $53.90 from 57.86 from the September 30th point to December 31st. FactSet went on to say that this is normal, but that the average decline is 3.8% over the past 20 years compared to 6.8 in the recent quarter. In fact, they said the decline in estimates is larger than their 5, 10, 15, and 20-year average declines. It seems that the decline is being led by the healthcare sector, followed by the materials sector. that sees a growth rate of 2.4% overall for the S&P 500, which would make for the second straight quarter of year-over-year growth for the S&P 500. The banking stocks, JPMorgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup will kick off the earnings season next Friday. Normally we see a lull in trading and performance before the earnings season kicks off as companies go into their blackout period from buying company stock until after their public earnings announcements. Earnings are the lifeblood of the stock market. So this month it will be key given the rally investors have caused in the stocks largely because of sentiment given the Fed pause in the fourth quarter. Can the U.S. see two-quarters of positive earnings growth? And what do companies see ahead for 2024? Key topics to discuss in the weeks ahead. And if you believe in catalysts moving the market and stocks, don't just take a random walk down Wall Street, and you want to work with an advisor that thinks like you do, give me a call. Ryan Poplava at 888-486-3939.
4: Joining us on the show today is Jeff Christian at CPM Group, one of the leading precious metal and commodity research firms. And if you've been listening to our show over the years, you'll know that Jeff has made a large number of very good calls and accurate forecasts, not just in the near term, but also for long-term projections for metals, commodity markets in general, but also in being well ahead of the herd on explaining why a rapid energy transition likely won't happen due to production limitations and resource constraints. On a large number of commodities required for wind, solar, and electrical vehicles as well, something that we're seeing more and more now. But Jeff, let's start with your outlook on precious metals. So we've been speaking with you for a large number of years, and you started late last decade talking about how you believe that the 2023 to 2025 time period would be a time in which precious metals would particularly do well, see the emergence of a new bull market, talked about record new highs during this period of time, We did see a record high in gold last year, right in line with what you had been saying. We haven't seen a record high in silver, of course. Silver is still below its high that it saw in 2011, just below $50. But what is your outlook as we look at this time period, especially now that we're in
3: 2024? Yeah, we're looking for higher prices, especially for gold in 2024. And one of the things we've been telling our clients is that we think in 2024
2: and 2025, political issues may... Be much more influential in determining investment demand for gold and silver than economic and financial. 60% of the world's GDP will come from countries
3: that have elections in 2024. And in many cases, you have a rise of
2: nationalism and fascism and increased political dysfunctionality and hostility within the countries.
4: To listen to this full interview, in addition to gaining access to all of our premium content airing during the week, go to FinancialSense.com and hit the subscribe button.
1: At Financial Sense Wealth Management, we are committed to helping you build, maintain, and preserve your wealth. Contact us today to find out about our comprehensive financial planning and asset management services. Whether you're planning for retirement, taxes, putting together an estate plan, or need assistance in managing a 401k, Financial Sense Wealth Management is here to help. Give us a call to speak with one of our certified financial planners or wealth advisors at 888 Four eight six three nine three nine, or go to financialsensewealth.com and hit where it says Contact Us. Advisory services offered through Financial Sense Advisors Inc., a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Financial Sense Securities Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Both companies doing business as Financial Sense Wealth Management.
4: Well, it's now 2024. And as we do every year, we're going to look at the big forecast when it comes to the economy, inflation, interest rates, and the overall investment environment in 2024. So Jim, what does the consensus look like? Because last year, there was a lot more pessimism as we began the year. Turned out that there was no recession. The stock market roared thanks to a handful of AI related stocks, and that drove the bulk of returns for the major indices.
3: The rest of the market did not do so well, and the bond market went absolutely nowhere. Well, it's amazing because last year we began forecast. There was a lot more pessimism. And remember, 2022, the Fed went from a Fed funds rate of zero and they drove it up almost to 5%. So everybody thought, OK, that's the biggest increase that we've ever seen in almost four decades. We were heading for a recession. Well, that didn't happen. We had two negative quarters in 2022, and then the economy took off again. Well, let's take a look at what they're forecasting for 2024. Once again, the thesis, at least from everybody, is a soft landing. The Fed, as we've got the minutes, basically the interest rate hikes are over, and now it's a question, when do they cut? And so the forecast for economic growth in 2024 is the economy is expected to grow at 1.3% versus the 2.4% that it grew in 2023 and the 1.9% that it grew in 2022. So we blipped up last year. Instead of going down, we actually increased, and a lot of that had to do with government spending. And for 2025, the economy is expected to grow by 1.7%. So if you look at what the consensus is leaning towards, it's a soft landing. We will not have a recession. And we'll get to a reason why later on, why we think we're heading into one. I don't know if it's at the end of the first half, the end of the second half. But what we've done is delayed, but we haven't eliminated it. Now, let's look at something else. Industrial production. You've seen the ISM numbers. I think they're down like 15 months in a row. The industrial production really dropped in 2023. In 2022, it was 3.4%. 2023, it was 0.2. Now they're anticipating it's going to increase slightly to 0.3 in 2024, And 1.2% in 2025. Now, here's the big one CPI, because everybody's saying, okay, the Fed has gone on pause. It is basically done raising rates. So the question is are they going to hit their target of a 2% inflation rate? Not this year. Last year, the overall inflation rate was 4% compared to almost 8% the year before. This year, economists are projecting inflation will drop down to 2.6%, and it'll go down to 2.3% in 2025. Housing starts. In 2023, they were 1,395, This year, they're expected to drop to 1370000 Obviously, higher mortgage rates are having an impact. But then once again, we get to 2025, it's expected to pick up. So if you're looking at what this is, the the picture that the economists are putting out there, the story seems to be is the Fed has engineered a soft landing. Once again, economic growth dropping to 1.3% versus 2.4%, so that's almost half of the economic growth, and then it starts picking up in 2025. Now, let's talk about the big one that has remained strong, but you've really got to look underneath the the hood on these numbers, and that's the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate is at 3.7%. It's expected to hit 4.2% this year and then go up to 4.3% next year. But if you look at some of these reports, Uh, Everything from uh, quit rates, higher rates, uh, temporary workers—everything seems to be trending down and accelerating. So, and and you got to be real careful. Like today, they just announced—I think it was two hundred something thousand jobs that were created. Well, a third of them were government jobs. So, a lot, a lot of these jobs that you've been hearing on a monthly basis—a good, almost thirty to forty percent—are coming from government. They're coming from healthcare, and they're coming from leisure, very low-paying jobs. But the other thing you have to look at is like, uh, for example, in the month of December, they announced that job uh, increases in the month of November were 150,000. Well, they just revise those lower to 105,000. And that's a trend that we see the initial numbers that are reported are revised lower the following month and it's buried in the news because obviously in the election year, you're not going to talk about that. You want to talk about the first number that's released, which is much higher. And I suspect that the December numbers will probably be revised lower because that's been the trend over the last six months. So if you take a look at that, the other issue is debt. We're at $34 trillion now. And it's anticipated that we're probably going to end up the year between 37 and 38 trillion. The deficit this year is anticipated to be over three trillion. And one reason, Chris, is all of that debt that was issued over the last decade was issued at interest rates that were at a half a percent. I can remember T-bills at one tenth of a percent. In fact, during the uh, 2020, they actually were negative. And so that debt is rolling over. We've got about 17 trillion of debt coming due in the next two years. And I'm just looking at my debt screen right now. We've got the 10 year at four. We've got the 30 year at under four. It's about 3.98. But we have T bills are coming down. We've got three month T bills down to 5.3, six month T bills at 5.2. And so as that debt is rolling over, you've got a half a percent debt that's going to be rolled over and it's going to go to 4%. So interest on the debt is going to be going up, which is going to be another major factor of contributing to the deficit this year. So government debt is going to get bigger. And a lot of people are saying that interest rates, you know, the Fed will start cutting, but it's not, we're, we're not going back to the way it was in the last decade. That decade is over. We've seen 40 years of declining interest rates. Now, if you think that, well, gosh, you know, I'm lucky people were happy about going into money market funds at 5% or T-bills at five and a half, that's going to be going away this year. You'll probably end up somewhere in the three, three and a half percent range. So your income is going to go down on T-bills, probably about two percentage points. So the consensus
4: view is for a soft landing this year in 2024, a continual decline in inflation, Fed rate cuts, lower bond yields. How does this translate into views on where the market is expected to go this year?
3: The average for the S&P is 48.33. Now that's what, uh, if we look at where we are today, that's basically less than 100 points. The median is 48.50, the highest forecast would be 5200 and the lowest would be 4200 And if we take a look at uh, earnings per share, uh, they're taking a look at $233. And that's a real key thing to follow, because if you look at following historically, what happens when the Fed raises interest rates, It, it earnings continue to go up. Fed goes on pause, and then as the numbers start to slow down, just as they're forecasting that we'll only have 1.3% economic growth, what you start to see is falling earnings, and that has not been factored in yet. I think most of people are thinking that earnings will be up this year, but that will have a major impact on where we go in the market. So if you take a look at some of the big uh, bulls, Oppenheimer, They think the market will hit 5,200. Bank of America thinks it'll hit 5,000. BMO is at 5,100. You've got Citigroup and Deutsche Bank around 5,100. And let me see, who else do we have here? But we also have some bears. And the bears, JP Morgan, Cantor Fitzgerald, Morgan Stanley, Stifle Nicholas, and Wells Fargo think that the market could end up lower. And remember, as robust as you think the market was last year, and we're going to talk about the implications next week when we get into investments, a good majority of what you saw in the NASDAQ and what you saw in the S&P were driven by the magnificent seven, those high-cap stocks, your Teslas, your Microsoft, your Google, your Amazons, that's what drove the index but remember if the market pulls back indexing works in reverse and a good example is what happened in 2022 when the S&P was down over 20% the magnificent 7 were down 40 and 45%. so if you another way of looking at this to understand the market when you put $100 in an S&P 500 fund $30 of the 100 goes into seven stocks. The other $70 goes into the 493 stocks. Same thing happens when it comes to the NASDAQ. So when you look at what happens when people start pulling money out of the market, if you pull $100 out of an S&P fund, $30 comes out of those big cap stocks. And that's why they lost 40, 50% in 2022. So if we do go into downturn, uh, take a look for these big, large cap, magnificent seven stocks to be very vulnerable in a downturn. But if you take a look at overall, Chris, basically they're thinking that maybe the market's return this year, at best, with if you count dividends, is going to be between three and five percent. Because I mean we're at forty-seven hundred right now, and if you take a look at the average of forty-eight thirty-three, that would imply. An increase in the market's value of about roughly two and a half percent, throw in dividends of let's say a little over two or under two. So you're only talking about a four to five percent return in the stock market this year. So right now, and and the other thing that we follow, it's not just that we expect earnings to decline this year. I don't think they're gonna be as high as people think they are. But the other thing that we're watching very closely that really is a telltale sign of what's going on in the economy is government tax revenues. They've fallen by almost a quarter of a trillion dollars, and that number keeps coming down, and that is reflecting lower economic activity, lower profits. So uh, I look at that more than I do what they're projecting, because that tells me really underneath the hood what's really going on in the economy.
4: So again, the, the consensus is basically that the Fed has been and will be able to achieve a soft landing here. The stock market doesn't do much of anything, however, so not the blockbuster gains that we saw last year, which would make sense you know, after a, a really, really good year that we would see some level of consolidation. What were the variations that stood out to you among the various forecasts? Was it pretty much a broad consensus or do the big firms... See things turning out differently depending on which firm you're looking at?
3: You know, there's a wide dispersion. Uh, let's begin with JP Morgan because they're one of the uh, bears. They see modest risks to the global economy in terms of sliding in a recession. So they think we're going to see the end of global expansion by the time we get to mid 2025. The inflation and economic data they expect to soften. Uh, especially as we head into the second half of the year, they also see large monetary geopolitical risk and expensive stock valuations. I mean, if you take a look at the S and P's P/E ratio, it's at roughly about twenty-one and a half. Historically, it's averaged between seventeen and eighteen, so we're a little bit on the high side. But once again, you have to take a look at the S and P uh, outside the Magnificent Seven. And it's probably a little bit less than that. The other thing they're citing, consumer spending was one of the things that held up the economy in 2023. Just as they had all those uh, stimulus checks, they feel that consumers' excess savings have been spent, and it's now being fueled by credit card debt. We had record credit card debt in 2023, and I'm just not sure how much longer that's going to last. They're not, JP Morgan is not positive on risk assets due to interest rate shock over the last 18 months. They feel very strongly that the Fed needs to end quantitative tightening and the rate cuts have to begin soon, or otherwise, we're not going to see this soft landing. So they need to take steps now to prevent it. Uh, just because the Fed went on pause doesn't necessarily guarantee we're going to avoid a recession. Their downside target. Is 4,200. So if you take a look at where we are today at 4,711, you take 4,200, that would imply almost 11% correction in the market. They also believe that growth will fade with rising yields and tighter credit conditions. You can see that in the uh, loan officers survey that comes out from the banks. They're tightening. So here's the way JP Morgan thinks things stand up. They think we have a 25% probability of a recession in the first half, 45% in the second half, and 60% by the first half of 2025. They think that the average 10-year bond yield will be at four and a quarter mid-year, meaning that the Fed probably will not loosen because Wall Street is anticipating the first rate cut will come in March. One of the reasons the market's reacting as it did this week is when the notes came out from the December Fed meeting, it was like no rate cuts in the first part of the year. And they think that we end up the year at three and three quarters, which was not much lower than where we were about a week ago. Now, let's go to somebody that's a little bit more bullish, and that is Goldman Sachs. And their theme is, the hard part is over. The global economy had overcome the worst of the challenges related to inflation, rising interest rates, and slowing growth. They predict a return to a pre-2008 normalcy. Global economies will outperform even optimistic expectations. Disinflation will continue. They see a probability, only about a 15% probability of a recession. So they're more in the soft landing camp. Their consensus for the economy this year is 2.1% economic growth versus 1.3%. They think corporate margins have stabilized. Equity valuations appear fairly uh, valued. And the Fed well, is finished on hold until q So they don't expect any rate cuts until the latter part of the year. And here's a key thing that you have to look at. Based on the other 493 stocks within the S&P, there are a lot of bargains out there and some good dividend yields, which we'll get into next week. So Goldman's a lot more bullish, almost the opposite of where JP Morgan is.
4: Well, we all have Bloomberg terminals here at our office and uh, rely on Bloomberg data extensively and speak with a large number of Bloomberg analysts as well on our program. What is it that they're forecasting for 2024?
3: Double dip in the U.S. economy is likely underway right now. That could create problems for many of the S&P 500 companies that avoided the 2022 slump. And it's probably a lot more in the small cap space where these companies are going to have to refinance their debt. They're at lower credit quality, so they're going to have to pay a higher amount of uh, interest. They also think that it's probably choppy returns are most likely for stocks this year, back and forth, up one month or up five or six weeks in a row, and then followed by a correction, very back and forth. And a theme that we covered, I think we did this show in November, the parallels between 1968 and 1982, and we're almost following that exact same pattern. So All economic regime components point to recession, according to Bloomberg Economics. And the mega seven distort lower valuations for the rest of the market. So as I mentioned, the P.E. ratio for the S&P is about close to 22. If you back out the big seven tech stocks, it's probably a lot lower than that. Now, I want to uh, cover another firm, Schroeder's, and they're talking about Stocks in the age of the 3D reset. And those uh, resets are uncertainties are going to persist with a volatile stock market globally. Since the great financial crisis, we've seen a steady decline in the cost of risk as interest rates were kept at zero for more than a decade. The result is that created tremendous increase in asset prices over the last decade. So the three categories of risks that they see unfolding: one is demographics, an aging workforce, decarbonization imperatives, all this crazy uh, stuff that we're doing for climate change. Shutting down uh, nuclear plants, we're shutting down nat gas plants, we're shutting down coal plants, we're stopping mining, we're uh, having all this extra costs. We're we're going for wind and solar, which doesn't work and dries up the cost. Of electricity. And a third theme is deglobalization. What are you hearing about? Factories coming back to the US, factories coming back to Europe, pulling out of China, especially with the supply chain problems that we have. The result is you're going to see a lot higher sovereign debt levels, especially with inflation and in central banks having raised interest rates, bottlenecks driven up wage costs boosted price inflation, populist politics, and a great divide in the country. In fact, they they talked about they've never seen a divide in this country as great as it is. It's probably the greatest, Chris, it's been since the Civil War. And it's basically their thing. It's time to do the opposite of what you did in the last decade, which was buy uh, equities, put yourself in an index fund, and just stay there invest in growth and invest mainly in the US. And don't worry about whatever you're paying in terms of valuation. They're recommending more diversification, a renewed attention to valuations on the stocks you buy, stick with high quality, risk is going to increase. And plus, take a look at dividend yields, amen to that, and also cash. Now, I want to finally end with some people that uh, we've had on this show in the past, and that's bank credit analysts, and basically they're they're taking the same approach that Schroeder's has to some extent. They're saying the easy money era, which began in 2009, coming out of the great financial crisis, it ended in 2021. That was the era of zero percent interest rates, half a percent on 10-year Treasury bonds. That was the era of three percent mortgages. That era is over. Zero percent interest in QE, unlikely to the same extent in the next recession. In other words, if we do indeed go into recession, and I I, I think we're not going to avoid one. I'm not a, an economist. I'm not sure if it's going to be the first half, probably more likely the second half or the first half of next year. If we get into a recession, you're not going to see the Fed go to zero percent interest rates like they did, let's say, in 2020 or what they did in 2008. U.S. government is going to face debt servicing issues this decade, and higher interest rates equals a debt crisis in commercial real estate. No kidding. I would really be somewhat reluctant to be into commercial real estate. I think there's a lot of loan losses, Ahead for banks. It's not just the $600 billion that they're sitting on losses in their treasury bonds. You're talking about commercial debt that is going to have to be written off. I mean, just take a look at the number of hotels that are going bankrupt in San Francisco. They also see a corporate debt crisis, structural stagnation, a major, major currency depreciation, that's one of our themes, and lower valuation for risk assets. At some point, They're not sure. I think it's probably in the period from 2025 to 2028, you're going to see lower valuation for risk assets. At some point, the bond vigilantes are going to show up, and that's when the real fireworks are going to begin in the bond market. So their theme is the recession has been delayed, but not avoided. And that's our theme as well. We're heading into a recession. I don't know if it's going to be the end of this year or it's going to be next year, but it's coming. It's not going to be avoided. They also uh, agree with some of the other institutions. Consumer savings have been exhausted. Spending is being fueled by debt. And inflation will not slow enough to warrant rate cuts before this summer. And so there are a lot of things here that do not bode well uh, and probably we're going to end up with a lot more volatility in the markets. So those are the
4: major institutions and some of their different points of view and forecasts that they're making for 2024. What are some of the out-of-the-box thinkers and forecasts, and particularly there's Saxo Bank and Doug Cass, who's now taken up the tradition of Byron Wien?
3: Yeah, he's kind of following the format that Byron Wien, who passed away in November of last year, boy, he's so- going to be sorely missed. What a great gentleman and great thinker. Uh, so, he's revised the way he does his surprises uh, to go along with the way Byron did his. We'll get to his in a second. But I want to talk about Saxo Bank. We have them. They have what is called outrageous predictions.
1: Apparently, you have some outrageous predictions for 2024. What's your most outrageous?
4: I don't know. I think the end of capitalism in the U.S. Is, is a big one, obviously, that obesity drug doesn't work because it makes people lazy in terms of their lifestyle. See? Wealth tax on the EU. We are at all-time high in terms of the equity valuation. We are at all-time low in terms of the uh, energy prices. Uh, not all-time, but relatively mid-cycle low. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if you want to look at 24 and you want to look what goes wrong, it is that energy prices goes up and the stock market get hit from the severe impact of that. And that would be an inflationary force.
3: So, basically, their predictions focus on a series of unlikely but underappreciated events which, if they were to occur would send shockwaves across the financial markets. So what Saxo is kind of looking at, what are the black swans that are out there that nobody's looking at that could create convulsions in the market and take everybody by surprise, just like the pandemic did, uh, just like the Ukrainian war did, just like the Hamas war. And so basically they're saying the end of the road for complacency We are at an inflection point. And basically, the era of the financial crisis with stable geopolitics, low inflation, and low interest rates was disrupted during the pandemic years, and now indicating a shift towards a future filled with unpredictability. Number two, the world hit by a major health crisis as obesity drugs make people stop Exercising, so they're saying, uh, what what what's that uh, drug? By I think it's Ozempic. They're basically saying, hey, I won't have to exercise, go to the gym. I'll just pop a pill. And basically, they send <laughs> this is sending the wrong message. They say that processed food industry sees a significant demand lift. McDonald's, Coca Cola stock prices outperform broader markets by sixty percent. Number three, the U.S. heralds the end of capitalism with tax free government bonds now this is something to think about now remember we have 34 trillion in debt now we'll probably end up the year at 37 to 38 trillion and over 40 trillion by the time we get to 2025 the us adopts a radical fiscal strategy to tackle its economic challenges by incentivizing investment in government bonds The U.S. government is forced to increase fiscal spending amid the 2024 elections to keep the economy going and avoid social unrest. Due to lingering inflation pressures, foreign investors repatriate capital. Demand for U.S. Treasuries remains sluggish, provoking a spike in Treasury yields. In a desperate attempt to normalize borrowing costs, the U.S. government makes income from government bonds tax-free. Boy, would that send a shockwave and create huge demand for treasuries? Number four: Generative AI deepfake triggers a national security crisis as productivity boom becomes a national security threat after a daring AI deepfake heist against a high-ranking government official in a developed country. That's great. <laughs> yeah, how funny! I wonder who the who would that be. Uh, Number five, deficit countries form Rome Club to negotiate trade terms. A coalition of deficit countries aims to restructure global trade dynamics in their favor. And this gets into uh, countries that the founding members are the U.S., U.K., India, Brazil, Canada, and France. Six, now this one (laughs) will blow your mind. RFK Jr. wins the 2024 presidential election. Robert Kennedy wins his populist platform against the warmongering Democrats and against the corporate elites resonates with disgruntled traditional Democrat and Trump supporters. A new political era in the U.S. begins with a dramatic pivot away from plutocracy as voters demand an end to drastic inequality, injustice, and end of forever wars. Number seven. Japan's lucky 7% GDP growth rate forces the Bank of Japan to ban yield curve control. Number eight, luxury plunges as EU goes Robin Hood introducing a wealth tax. Talk about a good way to kill your economy. Uh, Luxury brands like LVMH uh, plunge by over 40%. So that's Saxo Bank. And these are kind of uh, uh, not surprises. They're more what I call black swan events. What's the th- What's something out there lurking that nobody's paying attention to if it appears on the scene would disrupt the markets and create a shockwave? So that's Saxo Bank.
4: So as we said earlier, Doug Cass has taken up the mantle of Byron Wien for his 10 surprises. What is Doug Cass predicting or forecasting as far as a major market surprise that we may see for this year.
3: Number one, Donald Trump is convicted of obstruction and conspiracy. In agreement between the former president and the current president, Biden pardons Trump in exchange for Trump agreeing to leave the 2024 presidential race. Governor Ron DeSantis finishes third in both Iowa and New Hampshire primaries, drops out of the race with Nikki Haley capturing many of his supporters closing the gap. In early September, shortly after Biden wins the nomination, the president suffers a health emergency and, like Trump, leaves the race, leaving it to Democrat Governor either Gretchen Whitmer or Michelle Obama to take up the mantle with possibility of a Haley Newsom race or a Whitmer-Trump race. Well, that'd be something, you know, I, we commented on this before, but Trump is on trial in four different cases. They're trying to take him off the ballot, which is really not Democratic. And then Biden is under impeachment. So we head in, if if Biden's the, uh, the candidate and Trump is the candidate, Trump is under four indictments and Biden is under impeachment investigations. We've never seen that in a presidential race together where both candidates are under investigation. Number two, in part due to fear that Democrats will continue to hold on to the presidency, foreign powers step up military confrontations. With Russia and Saudi Arabia conspiring on production cuts, the price of oil exceeds $110 a barrel, and oil stocks go through the moon. Number three, there is neither a soft landing nor a hard landing, just very sluggish real economic growth in the U.S., The Federal Reserve cuts rates twice before July. The yield on the 10-year bond declines below three and three quarters. And GDP sends the deficit to 10% of GDP. So we could be seeing almost $4 trillion as a deficit instead of three. Number four, the S&P index never exceeds 4,900 and drops to under 4,100. So very bearish. So if you take where we are today and you take below 4,100, you're talking about maybe a 13% decline. Number five, the biggest and most popular stock in the world, Apple, suffers a large percentage loss in 2024 as trade tensions with China escalate and the price of the big uh, seven stocks go down. Google stops paying Apple $18 billion in search fees. And Berkshire Hathaway doubles down on its Apple investment. Number six, fears of credit problems are realized, and the banking industry and others suffer large loan losses. Boy, you can already see that happening with some of these commercial loans. And that's something to keep your eye out on the banks. Because some people are positive on the banks with the spread that they're making on lending. But I I just don't see it. Number eight, what would surprise list be without Elon Musk? It is revealed Elon Musk suffers from a serious addiction. Entering an extended stay in rehab, Musk is forced to temporarily relinquish operating control over his company. Number nine, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global suffer operationally and financially profitless prosperity is streaming fails to fulfill optimistic expectations. And number 10, J.P. Morgan chases Jamie Dimon, departs the bank, and joins either Nikki Haley or Whitmer as administration as Secretary of the Treasury. So also runs, uh, let me see, number 11, the sports story of the year, Tiger Woods wins a major title. Number 12, Goldman Sachs. Chief Executive Officer Dave Solomon resigns. He moves to Miami, Florida, and becomes a full-time DJ. <laughs> well, mm. That's <laughs> Okay, mm. I don't know where that one came from. Number 13, the court overrules previous decisions and accepts Johnson & Johnson's use of the Texas two-step to tackle baby powder liabilities. Number 14, ODTE options cause a 3 to 5% flash crash On the day's expiration during the summer. Number 15, in addition to Apple's fall from grace, another member of the Magnificent Seven succumbs to economic gravity and with significant earnings uh, disappointment, the Magnificent Seven now resembles a weak absolute and relative underperformance as they did in 2022. Once again, if his correction or prediction on the market, if we fall below 4100, Or if we get to JP Morgan's 4,200, remember, when money comes out of an S&P index fund, just as the money going into the S&P drove the returns on those magnificent seven, what could happen again is what you saw in 2022 when money came out of the market, money came out of index funds, and the result was that the big magnificent seven lost forty and forty-five percent, so they could be two to three times of the losses of the regular index funds. So we could see a repeat of twenty twenty-two in these big seven fund uh, stocks, which are extremely overvalued at this point.
4: Well, speaking about the stock market, you know, one thing that we cover every year is the dogs of the Dow, and then we've also got the Barron's list of top stocks for the year. How did the dogs of the Dow do last year? And uh, what are some of the expectations for this year?
3: Okay, let's talk about the Dow. The Dow was up 13.7%. Once again, the Dow is a price-weighted index, meaning the stocks that are the highest in value carry the most weight in the index. And as not surprising, Apple was up 48%, Microsoft off 56%. So they distorted that. But overall, the dogs in the Dow last year Produced a return of 9.7 percent. The yield on the dogs was 4.28, compared to two and a half percent on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now let's take a look at this year. At the top of the list is Walgreens. Um, that may change because Walgreens just uh, the new CEO cut the dividends. It's still up there. It's still over uh, three or four percent. Verizon, 3M, Dow Inc. IBM, Chevron, Amgen, Coca-Cola, Cisco, and Johnson and Johnson. So the yield on the Dow ranges from seven percent of the dogs of the Dow from seven percent. Uh, you got a lot in the four percent range. You got IBM over four, Chevron close to four. Uh, so you have a couple stocks there. You got Dow Chemical is uh, roughly about five percent. 3M's about five and a half. So you've got higher dividend yields on the Dow. Now, one of the things that Barron's does every single year is they come out with their 10 stocks of who they think will be doing well this year. In 2024, their stocks are Alibaba, Alphabet, Barrick Gold, Berkshire Hathaway, Biotech, Chevron, Hertz, Madison Square Gardens, Pepsi, and U-Haul Holdings. And so last year, their return from their stocks were at 31%. And so this year, and, and they included a couple of stocks like Microsoft and Apple. So no wonder they did well. So this year, they've got a little bit more diversity, some tech stocks in there, but mainly outside technology. You've got Chevron, a resource stock. Barrick, resource stock. Hertz, U-Haul, and Pepsi. Pepsi, more of a consumer staple type stock. So these are uh, some of the things that you can look at for this year. And we're going to get more into that next week when we cover investment strategy. With all this uncertainty, and remember the consensus most of the time is wrong. So the consensus is we have no recession. We think, once again. With bank credit analysts, it's been delayed, but not avoided.
4: Well, let's talk about some of the risks. We have covered some of those with the surprises and other forecasts, but what are some of the things that could go wrong in 2024?
3: Well, once again, the consensus is no recession. And even those that predict we're going to have a recession, 25% probability in the first half, 45% in the second, 60% next year. So having a recession hit that nobody's anticipating when everybody's thinking it's just going to be a soft landing, that would be something that could go wrong. The return of inflation, which we see taking place in the second half of the year, a interest rate shock impacts earnings and spending. So what happens if inflation doesn't go down as soon as we want or starts ticking up. It could be oil, it could be a supply chain disruption. I mean, just take a look at what's going on in the Middle East, where shipping companies are having to reroute oil tankers to avoid being attacked by drones or being taken over. The liquidity crisis continues to contract with Fed QT. You know, something, Chris, that we follow is something called the Move Index, which is like the VIX for stocks. It's the VIX for the bond market. Anytime it gets up to 140, you see the Fed come in. Uh, We saw a a spike almost uh, 180 in March. Remember the banking crisis? Spiked again in May, spiked again in July, spiked again in September. And every time you see that, what happens? Rates start to back up, as we've seen here at the start of the year, where we've seen rates back up this week. So it got up to about 100 in, uh, towards the end of the year, it was about 130. It's dipping back down. But anytime you see something like a spike in this index, it's telling you you've got trouble. So liquidity problems are going to start mounting because the Fed is pulling money out of the market liquidity. Chaos on our borders. I mean, I we live in a border state, California. We've got 60 I think, what is it, Chris, over 60,000 illegals downtown San Diego. They're sleeping in the airport, on the streets. I mean, if you're a border state from California, Arizona to Texas, our borders are being swamped, literally swamped. We've had 8 million illegals come into this country in the last three years. 300,000 just in the last month. And we're seeing it uh, right here in San Diego because we are a border state. Like I said, we have over 60,000 people just in downtown San Diego. Where are you going to put these people when it rains or temperatures expect to get freezing this week? Where do you put these people? So we've got a crisis on the border. Also, widening Middle East war as the U.S. looks weak. Possible conflict with China and Taiwan and by 2025 a government debt crisis so these are some big things that could throw all these forecasts off by a wide margin you know these are kind of like maybe the additional things that people aren't anticipated the consensus once again lower inflation lower interest rates soft landing what happens if that scenario doesn't play out And then all of a sudden, you see Wall Street reconfiguring. And Chris, we've been doing since coming out of the pandemic. uh, In 2021, a robust year as the economy bounced back after being shut down. But then inflation showed up. That was something nobody anticipated. It was supposed to be temporary. Well, it turned out it wasn't temporary. So that was a shock to the market. We began 2022 with two negative quarters of GDP. Everybody thought it was a recession. And then it flipped. With all that government spending, the economy took off again. So you saw last year the consensus change two or three times throughout the year. You could see that happen again this year. And I I would say that is highly probable. Next week, we're going to take a look with all these uncertainties. Given this consensus, what makes sense from an investment strategy as we outline that next week and what we are going to be doing this year. In fact, we put some of these things in place already. So next week, we'll talk about what to do this year for investment strategy to prosper and keep yourself safe. In the meantime, on behalf of Chris Sheridan and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us this time of the year, and we wish you a happy and prosperous new year. We'll talk to you again next week. That concludes our weekend edition of the Financial Sense News Hour. To speak with
4: our financial planning and wealth management team, give us a call at 888, that's 888 Or you can also visit us on our website, financialsensewealth.com. If you aren't already a subscriber to our weekday podcast and would like to listen to more of our content where we regularly interview book authors, industry experts, and strategists from around the globe, go to Financial Sense and hit the subscribe button. On behalf of Financial Sense NewsHour and the Financial Sense Wealth Management team, we hope you have a pleasant weekend.